All right, we hope that you were able to enjoy that worship set and once again, are so glad that you've chosen to join us for our service today. Now, what we're doing today is we're actually finishing our series, which has been entitled The Life of Faith. And we hope that you've been encouraged over the course of this time to pursue God with an earnest in a brand new way and really to uh, really grow in your faith and as you mature from simply learning about the doctrines that save us to actually a faith walk that can actually bring us into the purposes of God as we follow Jesus in our daily lives. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and um, finish the series by focusing on this statement that we will re-reap the rewards of faith. We will reap the rewards of faith when we seek God for our triumphs and look to Jesus to keep us through our pains to ultimate victory. We're going to break the message down today into three parts. We're going to talk first about welcoming faith, how to actually welcome Jesus into your life through faith. Secondly, we're going to talk about triumphant faith. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about keeping faith that we all need as we persevere in our walks with God on into glory. So before we do anything else, let's pray and then we'll read the Bible. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today and we thank you that you've given it to us that we might know how to love you, walk with you, and also accomplish your will in the earth. God, we know that it's all done by love and faith. And so we pray that you would increase our faith today that we might do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible today, let's open today to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 31 through 40, and then we're going to break it up into those sections of welcoming faith, triumphant faith, and finally, a keeping faith. It says this in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and, kill, um, um, and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not <coughs> excuse me, worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so what we see in this scripture is that finally it's a survey, as has been the entire hall of faith in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's been a survey of the men and women of God, men who were patriarchs and women who were matriarchs of the faith, those that we found whose stories we found in the Old Testament, giving us an example of how God interacts with humanity, particularly with his people in the nations of the earth. Now, the thing about it is, is that what it's done for us is it showed us how all of the Bible is important. 
not just the New Testament where we have our favorite verses or our memory scriptures for the day, but really the whole counsel of God and the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. All of it is moving in one direction, talking about God, his plan of redemption for humanity and ultimately his plans and purposes that are worked through our lives as his people as we follow him by faith. And so what we see is that all of these stories ultimately of the Old Testament were teaching us how to mature and how to live by faith. And what it starts off by talking about today is the story in the book of Joshua about the prostitute Rahab. And Rahab, if you're familiar with the story, talks about the fact that welcoming faith is really the faith into which Jesus calls us that is a transforming faith. The faith that Jesus calls us into is ultimately a transforming faith that when we welcome Jesus into our lives, like Rahab the prostitute, it does not matter what your history was. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter where you've been. It does not matter what people have said about you or what reputation you've gained for yourself because of your sinful lifestyle and actions. The good news of the gospel is that through the uh, sinless life of Jesus, his miracles, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, whatever you were before, you can be made something new in Christ Jesus and that you can actually be transformed transformed by the grace of God into the man or the woman that you were always created to be. And well, faith ultimately welcomes Jesus during both good and challenging times to rule and reign in our lives. That's ultimately what faith leads you to. We see that Rahab was a prostitute in um, one of the cities, the first cities that the Israelites, when they were coming out of their slavery of, in Egypt into the promised land of modern day Israel, they were going to take a land and they were going to conquer um, that land in, um, in the name of God and in the name of uh, the promises that he had made to give, it, give them that land. And they were spying out the land. And they went to the city and they found safe passage because there was a woman named Rahab who had been a prostitute up to that time to make her living. We know that no, we don't know much about her except that she found that that was the way that she had been forced into or had chosen to live to make her way in the world. But when she heard about the goodness of God, that God had actually transformed a nation who had formerly been slaves into Egypt and with mighty power and great acts of um, justice and miracles had brought them out of their slavery of, in Egypt into the new life that he was bringing them into, into that time, modern uh, that old time Canaan and now modern day Israel. That Rahab, that prostitute, found in and of herself a hope stirred inside of her, saying that if God could free those slaves and bring them into a new life, so God, no matter what I've done or where I've been, can bring me into a new life as well. And so as the spies were coming into that city where Rahab worked, what she did is she hid them and she sided with the people of God, even when the people of, land, of the land heard that the spies were coming to scout out how they might conquer that city. And so Rahab, by identifying with the people of Israel, was demonstrating her faith in God. She was saying, God, I want to be on your team. God, I want to be identified by you. And the same way that you've transformed this nation of Israel, I want you by faith to transform my life too and take my history 
history and turn it into a new story for your ultimate glory. And Rahab would eventually become part of the earthly lineage of Jesus Christ himself. If you look in Matthew chapter 1 at the earthly genealogy of Jesus, we see that Rahab, this Gentile prostitute, was actually part of that all by the grace of God because God was showing that her faith was the type of faith that we need to have for transforming our own lives in Him. And though it was uh, a, a sordid past that she had, Rahab was a perfect picture of God's plan of repentance, which meant changing your mind and going in a different direction, and God being able to bring redemption as we look to Jesus to transform our lives. And by putting her faith in the God who had just delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt, she received the ability to rewrite her own story by the transforming power of Christ. And so ultimately, when we understand faith as it is described biblically, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how have you chosen to be identified with Christ so that he might transform your story, just like Rahab's, for his glory? That's what it means to welcome Christ by faith into your life. But when we do welcome faith, uh, Jesus by faith into our lives, what ultimately happens is he doesn't just save us, but he live, brings us into a triumphant faith. A triumphant faith as we walk with him and he guides us and leads us into his purposes for his glory. And the faith into which Jesus calls us is ultimately a conquering faith. The faith into which Jesus calls us is ultimately a conquering faith. And one way or another in this fallen world, the truth of the matter is, is that you will face trials. Jesus said this very clearly when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And honestly, I think about even my own story that when I grew up in the um, um, outside of the church, I didn't grow up going to church or attending church on a regular basis. But I always knew that there were two options that I was going to have. I didn't necessarily uh, uh, live a life that was uh, uh, difficult by the world standards. I had great parents and not only great parents, but great opportunities that were afforded me. But I did see that in my own life, I had troubles that were brought about by my own sin. Things that ultimately weighed me down in my mental state, my emotions, my relationships with others. It, it was of my own doing, but I also saw in the world around me, even when people weren't doing the things that I was they were dealing with the product of sin in their lives, whether they be victims of other people's poor choices or they themselves were caught in the bondage of sin through addictions and you know, all types of um, unscrupulous living that led to punishments that were just and at times unjust in their lives. And what I saw was that the world is full of trouble, but in Christ, even though you have trouble, you'll learn how to get through those troubles victoriously, triumphantly, by faith in his promises towards you. When people of faith come to the kingdom, what they understand is that in God's kingdom, which is ultimately under Christ's rule, any kingdom has a king, and in Christ's kingdom, he is the ruler. And under Christ's rule, where the blessing that people are actually looking for in their lives is where they find that blessing, even in the midst of their trial. But the question is, how? 
Well, Hebrews actually tells us how to find the blessing of God under his rule in his kingdom by faith in him. And this is what Hebrews 11 was talking about in the passage that we read, that we just read. Let's go through some of those things together. Faith ultimately conquers our fears, our insecurities, and our demonic intimidation in kingdoms because what happens is that we begin to tap into God's ability and not our own as we go throughout our life whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in the ministry, whether it be in your child rearing, or even in your marriage. We see that faith enforces justice, even in the society at large in which we live, because God is faithful to uphold his righteous cause for and through his people as they look to him and cry out to him for help. We know that faith, by the example of the Old Testament, obtains promises as it holds to and believes God's word. And ultimately, when we're talking about learning to live by faith, what you're learning to do is learning to take God at his word, take his word as true, and stand on that word because it's full of his promises. Faith ultimately, scripture says, stops the mouths of lions. And for us today, even though we're not in the Roman Colosseums uh, as the early Christians were in the Roman Empire, we see that we can stop the mouths of the accusers, oppressors, and those who would come after your life and reputation because God's testimony always has the final say in your life. Faith quenches also the power of the fire because you know that just like the famous song. I love that song by Hillsong right now where, that is played over and over again in many of our church services, that there's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the water parting the sea that we need to pass through. And I've seen that in my own life time and time again, whether it be through health issues personally or in my family at large. God has been with us in the fire, just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of their persecution under King Nebuchadnezzar. And he allowed them to escape the fire, even without the smell of smoke. And I'm telling you that by faith, God's calling us into that type of life in which we can now stand in him, keeping us in him. Faith turns weakness into strength because you finally have a healthy dependence on God. I have in my own life been brought to the place that though I like strength and though I consider um, strength uh, uh, strength something that God by his grace has given our, our family and our church family as a whole, I've been brought to places in my life where I've had to depend on God's ability to move mountains that stand in the way of me fulfilling his kingdom purposes when I have weakness it's turned into strength but it's only done so it's only done so when i go to god by faith and say god you said in your word that when i'm weak you are strong and so i choose to believe that word and so i'm crying out to you to do and move mountains for me that i can't move for myself and truth be told this is not just a hype session because faith makes you according to hebrews mighty in war beginning in the spirit with prayer to manifest in the natural the unseen battle and the victories that God himself is winning for you as you cry out to him in prayer. And faith finally has you take up not just your own strength, but the armor of God as Ephesians 6 
tells us. It tells us, it tells us to put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, to take up the shield of faith by which we can extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy and to use the sword of the spirit to go on the offensive and not always be on the defense, defensive as we take the belt of truth around our waist, buckle it, and then go with the gospel of peace to the world that so desperately needs the hope of God. It means that if you don't give up, you win in the end because of Christ's victorious resurrection from the dead. But to walk with God, to do his will, and to fulfill the great commission will ultimately be a fight of faith. Yet, faith enables us to put armies to flight by the hand of God as we worship. Faith allows us to receive back that which we thought was dead by the power of God as we pray. And all of these examples in Hebrews were men and women of old trusting God and allowing him to show up miraculously in their lives as they sought him by faith. That's what that whole scripture section talking about David, Samson, Barak, Jephthah, and the like was talking about. That as we seek God by faith, ultimately, he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. But what we've got to understand about faith is that faith ultimately was not passive and it will not be passive for you or for me. They sought God because they heard his word of his great, very great and precious promises and actually hoped for something. They didn't just take whatever the world gave them, but in God, because of his promises and his clearly defined purposes that he laid out for us when he said, follow me, he said they hoped for something. That's why, again, Hebrews 11.1 1 started it all by saying, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, which is proactive. I've got to hope for something if I'm going to believe God and please him by faith. And it's the conviction of things not seen. What it meant was that the people of faith were not satisfied to just take anything that they were handed, but they sought God for his goodness. They sought God for his goodness expressed in miraculous expressions of his love in the context of his kingdom. They came to understand that God's blessing was found in his kingdom and his total rule over every aspect of their lives. And ultimately, it will be the same for us by faith today. So the question is, for what kingdom pursuit are you seeking God with a proactive, tenacious hope? Because ultimately, faith, a biblical faith, leads you not just to transformation, but as you live between your transformation and meeting God face to face, it leads you in the triumphs of God. Now, faith is also not just about triumph, but it's also about learning to endure with Christ when the road to what was promised is not as we prefer or expect. And faith allowed women to, again, receive back their dead by resurrection, yet they still had to endure the pain of that death. That's why, again, Hebrews eleven thirty five 35b says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept a release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so what it was saying is that even as the people of God were living transformed lives in the triumphs of God, there were also times there, again, where the scripture clearly tells the Christian that if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And what that means is to follow Christ also means times of trial. And your faith helps you to triumph in the midst of those trials. It's never an all triumph and no suffering proposition. Jesus leads us to great victories even as we daily bear the pain of the cross. Have you thought about that before? That when Jesus says, when I want you to follow me, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, which is a place of death, a place of personal death, but also in Christ's resurrection on the other side. He said, unless you take up your cross and follow me daily, turning away from your sin and focusing, putting your faith in God, what he's done for you on cross, on the cross for, reconcile, for a reconciled relationship with the Father and then bringing you proactively by faith into following him into his purposes today. He says, unless you're willing to do that, you can't be his disciple. So, the resurrection life in Christ, what, what we learn by faith is that we need to die with him if we're actually going to live with him. That's what a biblical faith actually teaches us, that I need to die to my sin that I might actually live in the freedom of Christ. I need to die to my own preferences that I might actually represent Jesus well in the earth today. That people, when they look at me, might not just see Rollin, but they might actually see Jesus and him living his life through me. That's the life that God wants to live through you. And that's the life that is truly life. And in this, <clears throat> and this is the resurrection life of Christ, that long suffering is a part of biblical faith that leads us to eternal reward. Long suffering is a part of biblical faith that leads us to eternal reward. And by faith in Jesus and his atoning work for us on the cross for our sins, even in our shortcomings, there is always resurrection life on the other side of our pain. And that's the good news, that God, by faith, can meet us to comfort us in the midst of our pain, even as we're passing through to the triumphs he ultimately has for us in him. The world wasn't worthy, the scripture says, of those who live such a life, locked into the faith of God's redeeming, restorative plan for the earth through Christ. Those who are looking to love, those who are looking to serve, those who are taking care of, taking care of widows and orphans and keeping themselves from being corrupted by the world, even as they looked for God's redemption of their own lives. It says the world wasn't worthy of them, even as they heaped suffering on them. But Christ looked at their faith and said, I have an ultimate eternal reward for those who are sold out giving themselves to me in such a manner. Yet God met them, not only with promise, but he met them with comfort in their pain, continually reaffirming them of the hope of a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness, where death will have lost its victory and sin its sting. 
And so the question for us is, even as we think about the triumph, which isn't an all triumph and no suffering proposition, but in the midst of our suffering, what do we need to come to Jesus with by faith that he might actually comfort us in our pains? Because if we will learn to come to him by faith, in our triumphs, but also in our pains, then we'll have a keeping faith that the scripture talks about. And the faith ultimately into which God calls us is a keeping faith as we wait for the fulfillment of the promises of God. And faith, as we see it in the Bible, is not just you having a good aspiration or ambition for something and you holding out until you reach all your goals. But ultimately, a biblical faith is about exalting Christ and his kingdom as he brings about his redemptive plan for the world. And your personal story is simply a part of the larger narrative of how God meets, transforms, strengthens, comforts, and ultimately glorifies his people as they follow him, doing his will by faith. This is what Romans 8 talks about. And your, your personal story, this is a problem with Western Christianity, that your personal story is never to be central in your mind, as if you are the centerpiece for all that God is doing. You're never to be the centerpiece of the story, but Christ is. And you're never to do this story or walk out this call of God alone. The call of God is ultimately a team sport. And when we become myopic, we deviate from the historic forward march of the people of the cross leading to ultimate victory in Jesus for those who would live by faith. But only together with other believers is the goal of faith, the goal of a biblical faith fully realized and the advance of the gospel fully accomplished. So what that means is as we're wrapping this all up is that an immature faith thinks that the faith that you have in God is meant only to serve you. While a biblical faith ultimately brings us to the place where we understand we're part of a larger story which through faith we are serving Christ and his purposes. And faith should lead you in godly ambition to that which can only be fully realized when Christ moves fully, not just in or through you, but in his people throughout the generations. This means that you're serving. It means that you're praying. It means that you're giving and you're going to minister the good news of Jesus today to the world matters because it's part and it's ultimately an indispensable part of the larger picture of what Jesus is bringing about by faith, not just through you, but through the collective people of God throughout history until he makes his return. And that's why in Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39 and 40, he wraps up faith this way. He says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, which means that I'm not going to be perfected in faith without understanding what God's done in the patriarchs and matriarchs of the past. 
And God is not going to perfect my faith without an understanding of what I need to be sowing into for the generations to come. For both the present, impacting people with the good news of Christ today, and then also sowing into making the world a better place in Christ's name that his word and name might grow in power through the life that I live today. He's saying the gospel of Christ is ultimately the gospel of the kingdom and not just your or my personal salvation. That's what we ultimately try to reduce the gospel to a lot of times. The good news of Jesus is just about how he saved me. But when you look at what Jesus preached, he preached a gospel of his heavenly rule coming to earth. And that's how the wrong things in this world will be made right by faith in his promises and his ability to restore and redeem all things that have been fallen and lost. So we need to stop thinking about our walk with God as a solo act. There are perfecting partnerships of faith that God uses to help keep you in Jesus as you press on to ultimate victory in Christ. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, who are those people for you? Obviously, we have the cloud of witnesses that have come before us, walked with God in faithfulness, who God commended for their faith. But now they're dead. And it's our time to be the people of faith to continue that story for the generations to come until Christ makes his return, ultimately advancing his gospel in his kingdom by faith. But the question is, with whom has he linked you to do that? Because it says only together with them will his purposes be made perfect. And these are the people who will ultimately, as you think about who those people are in your life, they're the people who will strengthen you in disillusionment, lift you during discouragement, and remind you of the faith that you share as you build for the glory of God. The purposes of God in your life are realized ultimately not just through you believing alone, but a biblical faith is you learning to have interdependent relationships through which a mutual baton passing faith impacts the present and future generations to come. God has always intended his people to be a part of an ongoing story directed by the Holy Spirit focused on building an everlasting kingdom where Christ himself is the king. The Bible says in Isaiah that the government will be on his, meaning Christ's shoulders, and the increase of his government shall know no end. Your walk of faith, if it's going to be a mature faith, is an indispensable part of that unfolding story. But only together with those who've come before you united with those who will come after you and also embracing those who are to your right and to your left today with you will the purposes of God be made perfect. So again, I ask, with whom are you linked to build God's kingdom through a unified, multi-generational faith? Because when you can answer that question, not only can you initially meet Christ for a transforming faith to ultimately reshape your life, make you a new creation in him. But you'll have a triumphant faith, 
even through your pains. Even through your pains, he'll meet with you and comfort you and give you a keeping faith to encourage you, strengthen you, and help you endure until his promises are made perfect and you're found victorious, glorified in Jesus Christ himself by the power of his resurrection from the dead. That's an overarching story of the Bible. It's one that we're in the middle of today. And it's what he calls you into. Whether you've been walking with him for years or you're just starting a walk today by hearing this good news and knowing that he's inviting you into this life. So let's go to God today and say, God, mature my faith. God, give me a victorious, triumphant faith. God, keep me in the faith as you link me with the people of God for the purposes of God, to the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's end with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for every man and woman today. And I thank you that no matter what obstacle they've faced, that God, you're able to be the God of the breakthrough to see them through it. I thank you that no matter where they've been, you're able to bring transformation to free them so they don't have to be defined by their past. And God, I thank you that with your keeping faith, you give us a future hope that we can endure to the end. That way, not only would we be saved, that we, but that we might reap the great reward that you have for us in Christ Jesus, your son. And so I'm asking you, God, to give my brothers and sisters who are listening today a triumphant keeping faith that first transforms them, but then leads them always in your tri triumphal procession. And that you would keep them until the appearing of Christ, that they might receive the reward of their faith, eternal life through Jesus the Son. Amen. And if you are on this uh, um, video podcast today and think to yourself, you know what? I hear that and I hear the good news of what Jesus wants to do in my life how he wants to transform me, how he wants to lead me triumphantly and even keep me in the midst of life's pains and trials so until I might meet him face to face, not as a foe, but as a friend. If that's you, but you've never given your life to the Lordship of Jesus, now is your moment to do so. So would you pray this prayer with me as we end today? Almighty God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I admit to you that I've lived in rebellion to you and in fallenness, much like Rahab the prostitute did when we began this uh, passage of scripture. But God, I thank you that just as you transformed her life, you can transform mine. And I'm asking you, God, today to forgive me of my sin. I turn away from and renounce whatever the Bible calls sin. And I'm asking you to not only forgive me, but to make me a new creation today. I believe that Jesus lived a sinless life for me, went to the cross sacrificially for me, and was raised three days later after his death because of his innocence to new, eternal, new life and eternal life to boot. God, I thank you that that's what you're calling me into. And I'm asking you to make me a new creation as I proclaim Jesus Lord of my life today. Amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in Christ with a community of faith who's also chosen to endure until his return. So we love you. God bless you. And if you need prayer at all, there are people here standing with you at the ready 
to pray with you and cry out to God on your behalf today. Go ahead and click the link. And for the rest of us, let's go back into worship now. Hello friends, what a wonderful time of worship and of preaching of the Word of God. Now this is where the rubber hits the road, where we decide to once again, or maybe for the first time, not only hear the Word, but do the Word in one of our first acts of obedience and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as we remember His love for us in us to take communion. So if you don't already have some wine or juice or your bread or wafer, go ahead and get it and come right back. So we want to read the Word of God that shows us what communion is, and then we'll partake together. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, 23 uh, through 32. And the Apostle Paul writes here to the church in Corinth, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Okay, guys, well, hopefully you were able to grab uh, your uh, elements that we're about to partake of. But what this is, is this is mainly... Uh, time of remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. So what has Jesus done for us? Well, we remember his sinless life, his signs, his miracles, his wonders, and especially his sacrificial atoning death on the cross for you and for me. And that by remembering that and in the power of his resurrection, that in his name we have forgiveness of sins, which makes us right with God, which gives us eternal life and the promise of being with him forever in his kingdom so that is what we remember but we also need to take a moment and reflect so let's take a moment and ask the Lord to show us if there is anything that we need to repent of and try and give to him that we may not drink judgment on ourselves but that we give that to him at the cross so let's take a moment okay well, if you've brought your heart to the Lord and you've surrendered and received Him again as Lord and Savior, you can partake of the bread as this is His body that was broken for you and I in our place so that we wouldn't have to be. And then the Lord also said that He took the cup and He said, This is my blood that is poured out for you. It's a new covenant, an everlasting covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And so today, as we turn from our sins in repentance and place our faith in His shed blood for us, we can partake of the blood and receive the forgiveness and refreshing that He has for us. You can partake. Ah, 
And then I'm so thankful that he says, as we come to him in repentance and faith, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit that when we begin to live this new life in power walking with him. So let's go out this week in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of Jesus to ourselves and to everyone that we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen.